welcome to First Incision, the podcast about preparing for the General Surgery Fellowship exam. I'm your host, Amanda Nikolic. Let's get started with our team timeout. Our patient today is the skin and soft tissue module from the General Surgical Curriculum. And the operation or topic we're going to be covering today is Merkel cell carcinoma. And I've added in a discussion I had with the incredible Julie Howell, who is a surgical oncologist from Westmead Hospital, onto the end of this episode because she also has an interest in Merkel cell and had some great insights into its management. So Merkel cell tumors are a rare, aggressive, neuroendocrine malignancy of the skin. They're common in the head and neck of pale-skinned elderly people who are immunosuppressed. The cell of origin is actually not the Merkel cell. They were originally called Merkel cell tumors because the cell under the microscope looks like a Merkel cell, but the actual cell of origin is not known. It has an incidence of one to two per 100,000 people. So there'll be about 300 cases of Merkel cell in Australia per year. It's more common in men compared to women with a two to one ratio and has a higher mortality than malignant melanoma. Its behavior is that it has a propensity for local spread to regional lymph nodes and systemic metastases. And about 25% of patients will have lymph node metastases at presentation. Due to its ability to invade dermal lymphatics, it can also result in satellite lesions in the same way that melanoma can. In terms of the presentation, the classic description of a Merkel cell tumour is a rapidly growing, painless nodule, which can either be flesh-coloured or characteristically described as a violaceous intracutaneous nodule. The handy mnemonic that's often used to describe Merkel cell tumours are AEIOU. A stands for asymptomatic, so over 90% of these don't have any associated pain or symptoms. E is for expanding rapidly, so they typically will grow over about three months leading up to their presentation. I stands for immunosuppressed, so these tumours are more common in patients who have transplants who have HIV, lymphoproliferative malignancies, and are on immunosuppressive medications for a variety of causes. O stands for older. So 90% of Merkel cell tumors occur in patients that are over 50 years of age. And U stands for UV exposure. So these tumors are most common in the UV exposed areas in fair-skinned individuals. The risk factors for the development of Merkel cell tumour we've already touched on. So it's more common in older patients. I've mentioned there's a two-to-one ratio for men versus women, and it's most commonly in areas of UV-exposed skin, so the head and neck, as well as the hands. It's common in immunosuppressed patients, as I've mentioned. The other thing that's also talked about with Merkel cell carcinoma is the Merkel cell polyoma virus. The reason this is interesting is that it's found in the DNA of the majority of Merkel cell tumors. 
The Merkel cell polyomavirus is a common virus that results in asymptomatic infections in most people in the first few years of life. The polyomavirus is a DNA virus and it encodes two proteins, which are called large T and small t antigens. And these antigens are incorporated into the genome of the person. This is very common, but what's thought to occur that then can lead to Merkel cell carcinoma is that there's a subsequent truncating mutation of the large T antigen, which is in the genome um, of that patient. And then this leads to a cascade of events such as inactivation of tumor suppressor genes, promotion of immunosuppression and inhibition of apoptosis in those cells, which can then develop into a Merkel cell carcinoma. Saying all of this, though, the majority of Merkel cell carcinomas in the world are found to have Merkel cell polyomavirus in their DNA. But in Australia, this is much less common. And instead, Merkel cell carcinomas are found to have a higher incidence of UV damage signature in their DNA. And this is also associated with higher rates of mutations or mutational burden of the tumor. So that's something to be aware of and probably plays into what we'll talk about later, which is that Merkel cell carcinoma is treated a bit differently in Australia than it is overseas. So how is a Merkel cell carcinoma diagnosed? Firstly, it will have the characteristic features I've just talked about on history and examination. It's typically diagnosed with histopathology, so an excisional biopsy of the lesion or sometimes a punch biopsy is used to diagnose the Merkel cell carcinoma. On histopathology, you'll see small round blue colored cells on H&E with neuroendocrine features. They typically invade or infiltrate the dermis and also the underlying deeper tissues. On immunohistochemistry, the key features are that they are positive for CK20 and paranuclear dot staining. They can also be positive for other markers such as neurofilament and neuron-specific endolase. The other important thing is that they are negative for TTF1, which is a marker of melanoma and also carcinoma of the lung, which can look similar. They are a neuroendocrine tumor, so they'll have variable staining for chromogranin and synaptophysin, which are neuroendocrine stains. Once the diagnosis is made, staging of the patient is important. Merkel cell carcinoma has a propensity for lymph node metastases, and the incidence of lymph node metastases increases with the size of the tumor. So tumors that are less than half a centimeter have about a 15% rate of lymph node involvement. If they're half to one centimeter, they have a 25%, and if they're one to two centimeters, a 40% incidence of lymph node involvement at presentation. They also commonly have satellite lesions due to their invasion of the lymphatic system, and so it's good to do a full examination of the limb or around the area where the Merkel cell is. They also have a propensity for distant metastases, and most of the distant metastases will occur within two years. So for these patients, um, you would want to examine the regional nodal basin, 
And you can also do an ultrasound of the nodal basin looking for lymphadenopathy. According to a recent Peter Mack shoot I attended, they talked about doing a CT chest abdo pelvis or an FDG PET for systemic staging of Merkel cell carcinoma. And the other thing to think about with staging is staging the patient because most of these patients are going to be elderly and frail and immunosuppressed. So thinking about what treatments the patient may be fit for. In terms of staging of the tumour, there is an AJCC staging classification, which is a TNM classification. So T stage has to do with the size of the tumour, T1 being less than two centimetres, T2 being two to five centimetres, T3 being more than five centimetres, and T4 having deep invasion of other structures. The N stage has to do with the nodal status, and the M stage is metastases. M1A is where there's skin or subcutaneous metastases, M1B is lung, and M1C are any other sites. Some of the features of Merkel cell carcinoma that are associated with a worse prognosis or a worse outcome include more advanced TNM staging. So for example, a stage 1A Merkel cell carcinoma, so less than two centimetres in size and sentinel lymph node biopsy negative with no distant metastases, has about an 80% five-year survival. But metastatic Merkel cell carcinoma to liver, lung or bone has a 15% five-year survival. Other features that are associated with recurrence and poor prognosis include an increase in the size of the tumour, if there's lymphatic or vascular invasion, if there's a high mitotic rate, an infiltrative type of Merkel cell carcinoma compared to the nodular type, if there's tumour infiltrating lymphocytes, this is an improved prognosis um, due to an immune response to the tumour in the same way as melanoma. If there's a delay in treatment, this has a worse prognosis. And the location of the primary, so head and neck tumours and those on the lower limbs have higher rates of locoregional failure and metastases. So the management of Merkel cell carcinoma involves management of the primary site and management of the draining lymph node basin. For management of the primary site, there's two options. Option one is a wide local excision with a one to two centimeter margin. This can be difficult to get in the head and neck region. The other option is definitive radiotherapy. So Merkel cell carcinoma is an exquisitely radiosensitive tumor, and some people even treat Merkel cell carcinoma with radiotherapy only to the primary site. Other people will do a wide local excision, and if the margins are clear and the tumor is small, maybe not do any radiotherapy. But if it's at a site where it's difficult to get wide margins or it's a high-risk tumour, then they would do adjuvant radiotherapy to the primary site. So because Merkel cell carcinoma has such a high rate of spread to lymph nodes, it's pretty standard that for all patients with Merkel cell tumour, no matter the size of the primary tumour, you would do a sentinel lymph node biopsy if there's no clinically involved nodes preoperatively. 
If the sentinel lymph node biopsy is positive, then you would treat the regional nodal basin with radiotherapy. In the setting of clinically involved nodes in the draining lymph node basin, there's a number of options. And the management can include a lymph node clearance, can include radiotherapy only, or can include a clearance and radiotherapy. The decision about which of these to do is probably institution and site dependent. The other treatment modalities that are used for Merkel cell tumours in the systemic disease setting include chemotherapy. Chemotherapy is not very good for Merkel cell carcinoma. It probably adds about three to four months of the median progression-free survival and response rates are around 30%. The types of chemotherapy that are used are platinum-based chemotherapies, such as cisplatin and carboplatin. And they may add things like etoposide, cyclophosphamide, doxorubicin, or vincristine. The other option that's available now for Merkel cell carcinoma is actually anti-PD-1 immunotherapy treatments, which we talked about when we were talking about melanoma. The response rate is much higher for anti-PD-1 treatments than it is for chemotherapy, and the progression-free survival is improved with the use of these drugs in Merkel cell carcinomas. I found the management of Merkel cell carcinoma pretty difficult to understand. My initial notes said wide excision and central node biopsy, And then we went to a tute recently where the surgeon was saying that you could just treat everything with radiotherapy and there wasn't really a role for surgery anymore. So I had a chat to Julie Howe when I had her on the podcast for our talk about melanoma. She has an interest in Merkel cell tumor and she ran me through her management of Merkel cell carcinoma. So the management of Merkel cell carcinoma does vary a lot. Part of the reason it's such a rare tumour, there's not a lot of, well, there are no randomised control trials (laughs) that tell you that you should do one thing or another. So the approach that we have at my institution is, so if I am referred a patient with Merkel cell, usually it's been excised um, already, so they've had an excision biopsy of some sort, and I do sentinel node biopsies um, because there's about a 30% risk of microscopic nodal disease at that time. So that's a lot higher than it is for melanoma. So if you're going to do a sentinel node biopsy for something, Merkel cell is definitely uh, gives you bang for your buck. And you do that for every Merkel cell, no matter the size of it. Yes, that's correct. Because they haven't been able to whittle down which one's you can safely not do a sentinel node or which ones you shouldn't do a sentinel node biopsy. And so they say do them for everyone provided the patient is fit for surgery. So which is a can be an issue with Merkel cell carcinoma because it's a quite a elderly cohort of patients that develop Merkel. So yes, so do a sentinel node biopsy and it's then what to do with a positive sentinel node biopsy. Of course, you stage the patient and we use PET scans for staging Merkel cell. And 
if there's no distant disease, then we need to treat the nodal basin. And this is where there's a lot of difference in management. So the management of the nodal basin varies from um, irradiating that nodal basin to doing a completion lymphadenectomy to doing a completion lymphadenectomy and radiotherapy. Um, and that's quite institution specific. What we do at Westmead is we irradiate the nodal basin after a positive sentinel node biopsy because we know that it provides good control of the nodal basin. There have been a couple of studies done, published in the last two or three years from the states that have found pretty much there's no, it doesn't matter what you do, the nodal control is good. But again, I think why put someone through a big operation if they can have radiotherapy, which is very effective. The thing, that's the thing with Merkel cell is it's exquisitely radiosensitive. So um, radiotherapy is a very effective treatment for it. And what do you do with the primary site? So that's another area of contention. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I tend to do a wide excision and the uh, recommended margin, again, varies. Most people would do at least a centimetre clear margin. But then Merkel cell often occurs on the head and neck region and where it's not possible to get a, a wide excision. So um, adjuvant radiotherapy is good as well. And you can treat someone with definitive radiotherapy rather than doing any surgery at all if it's an old person who's not fit for a sentinel node biopsy. Yeah, the one Merkel cell I've seen was in Darwin and it was a Merkel cell on the scalp and there was all of these satellite lesions it was this sort of huge area and they were going to do this massive resection and I wondered whether radiotherapy in that situation would be an alternative. Definitely, yeah, yeah. And the advantage with radiotherapy is that it often works, but if the patient does recur, you've still got surgery as a backup. If you had clinically involved nodes in a nodal basin, could you treat the nodal basin with radiotherapy? You can, yes. So, again, very institution-specific. It also depends a little bit on the patient. So if it's an elderly person with lots of comorbidities, very easy to say, treat with definitive radiotherapy. There are some places which would do a lymphadenectomy as well as adjuvant radiotherapy, but we tend to treat most of them with definitive radiotherapy and find that there's quite a good response rate with that. So to finish us off on Merkel cell carcinoma, I just wanted to talk about surveillance. Merkel cell carcinoma has a high risk of recurrence and metastases, and 80 to 90% of recurrences occur within the first two years. Therefore, the surveillance or follow-up of patients who've had a Merkel cell carcinoma resected needs to be pretty frequent, so every three to six months in the first three years, and then can be spread out to six to 12 months thereafter. Patients who have local disease only have a 51% five-year survival. If they have nodal disease at presentation, they have a 25% five-year survival, and if they have distant disease, they have a 14% five-year survival. And that completes this episode on Merkel cell carcinoma. Thanks so much for listening. Please leave me a review, rate the podcast, and subscribe wherever you listen. It makes it easier for others to find.
It's time to close up. Thanks for listening to First Incision. If you have any comments or feedback, send us a message at firstincisionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at First Incision. Happy studying!